Welcome to our Ruth Say That We're Sisters podcast. This podcast series is sponsored by the Marquette Forum with support from Marquette University's Office of Institutional Diversity and Inclusion and the Haggerty Museum of Art. It's an extension of a Marquette University mural project to highlight and uplift diverse women-identified individuals whose images and contributions have been systematically made invisible. The artist, Mauricio Ramirez, used photographs of BIPOC women associated with Marquette as inspiration for the images in the mural. The Our Roots Say That We're Sisters podcast preserves the stories of female-identifying students, faculty, staff, and alumni who've used their gifts to make a meaningful impact on others, especially those who remain unsung heroes. I'm your host, Sheena Carey, from the Diedrich College of Communication. Joining us today is Dr. Anita Manogaran, Associate Professor of Biological Sciences at Marquette University. Thank you for joining us today. Anxious to hear your story. What is the story you'd like to share? Thank you for having me. My story, I think, is one that I think about as representation. Story of seeing people who look like you, hearing people that look like you, and experiencing the experiences that of people who look like you. Grew up in southeastern Wisconsin. My parents are immigrants. They came here back in the 1960s for an education. Um, they came from Sri Lanka. The whole purpose is they were going to come here, get educated, and then go back. Uh, unfortunately, a civil war broke out, and my grandparents said, don't come back. There's nothing here for you. So they stayed. And so we settled. My parents you know, got a job in southeastern Wisconsin, and uh, we settled here. And you know, when I say representation, we grew up in an area where there was no diversity. So no one looked like me. You know, obviously no one spoke the language of my parents or had the cultural influences that I experienced. And so growing up, it was very, you know, you put on a lot of masks to blend in. And so that was very jarring. You know, as a, as a child, you don't really, you just kind of cope, right? And you figure it out. It's not until I got to college that I realized, oh, wait, there are people that look like me. However, as a woman in science, there were no women in science. So it was like another whammy. So then you mask in different ways. And then you go through the ranks and then you get, you know, PhD, go through postdoc, faculty position. You know, luckily at Marquette, at least in biology, we're 50% women. So all of a sudden, I was like, this is amazing, right? You know, that lack of representation will always affect, you know, if you don't have that. And so that's kind of my story is kind of how to cope when you were kind of the only one that you saw that was like you and you had to kind of blend in and how you kind of cover up the parts that make you unique and you maybe bring forth items that make you blend in or be kind of one of the gang. And so that's kind of my story. So how did you get on this path? Associate Professor of Biological Sciences, STEM, a field that doesn't have a whole lot of women representation. What turned you toward this? You know, it's those key mentors, you know, those people that were just pivotal in whispering in your ear and saying, just ignore all the noise and push forward, right? In undergrad, there was a graduate student, Mary Gruel, I still remember her, I still talk to her to this day. She was inspirational, just 
saying, you know what? Don't worry about it. You can do it. And then she kind of was the one that said, you know, you may want to find a woman mentor. And so I went to graduate school at Marquette. And so I worked under Gail Waring, who was in another amazing scientist. And she really showed me how to do science without bias, very focused, and with high ethical value. And that, once again, you can do this. And so I went to a postdoc, and I worked with another woman. And, you know, so it was, I went out of my way to find women. Were they Sri Lankan? No. <laughs> but they were women, and they were the ones that were always saying, yes, women can have children, and they can still be scientists. They can run with the big boys, and, you know, it's okay. You know, it may be hard, but you can do it. And so those key people were so pivotal. And even to this day, I have women mentors. Rosemary Stewart, who's in biological sciences. Sujin Choi, who's in biomedical sciences. These are two people who have constantly whispered in my ear. Michelle Meinleaf is another one. They all whisper in my ear saying, you know what, you can do this. You know, they tell me when to say no. You know, I think it's kind of like you have to find your network, you have to find your people. But it took me many years to figure that out. So are you whispering in the ears of the students that you're, yes. you're uh, working yes. with? Yes. So I, for the past few years, it's not offered anymore, but I offered a course how to help first-generation students, first-generation college students navigate science. And most of them, actually most of them were women, and a lot of them were a minority. And my goal was to be their cheerleader, right, and say, hey, you know what? If you fail, it's okay. Just get up, dust yourself off, and try again. Everyone has to try again. You will learn from failure. That's kind of my pay it forward, mm -hmm. right? But pay it's, it forward, reach them back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and you teach the next group to pay it forward. That's the only way it really can kind of become viral, right? How would you say your identity has influenced the choices that you've made? Identity as a woman in science is you're always, always thinking about it because you're the only woman in the room or you're the only... There are women in the room, but you have to make the decision. Do I sit at the table or do I sit in the back? It took me a while to have the confidence to sit in, <laughs> sit in the front. You know, the identity really, the identity as a woman, identity as a minority, of someone that doesn't look like everyone else, it takes a lot of confidence. And it took a while to build that up. I wasn't very confident growing up because you're masking and do all this other stuff. And it took me a while. But now I celebrate it. And I say, you know what, it's okay that I'm the only one in the room. I'm, I'm going to stand for it. And if they don't like me, they don't like me. And if they do, they do. Mm -hmm. I always think um, the confidence, it's, it's not something you're necessarily born with. It's, it's, it's a result of experiences that you have, the successes and, and maybe even the, the failures. that, And you, move, you use that to move to the next point. It's all about the failure, right? I, I always say, like, the best thing you can do in life is fail. Because we measure ourselves not on the failure, but how we recover from the failure. And <laughs> I failed so many times. <laughs> but, you know, it's good because every time you fail and then you find out, hey, I, I got over it. It's fine. That, that just builds up that confidence. You know, and I think as women in science, even in minorities in science, it's really important that we tell other women and other minorities that it's okay to fail. And that's how we learn. But does the discipline give you that freedom to fail as a woman, as a underrepresented individual within that, oh. that field? That's a 
great question. I think as you're coming through education, it feels like there's no room for failure, that you have to be perfect every time, you have to achieve, you know, just to kind of run at the top and be with, you know, make people recognize you. That's true. But I think as um, what I've learned as I've gotten older, I feel like it's just, I just recently learned this, that science, there's no wrong answers. It's just experiments that don't support your hypotheses. Mm -hmm. And so then you just try again, it's right? Questions. It's questions. They're questions mm -hmm. that you're just trying to answer. And if you were wrong, it's okay. Actually, it's actually really exciting if you're wrong, because it means it's something completely new and novel, right? You know, I think early on, that need to be perfection was very strong. But as you get older, maybe this is experience, right? <laughs> you get better at it and you're just, I think you kind of throw your hands up and say, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay if it doesn't work or if I failed or. And we know that life won't end because of that. Exactly. <laughs> that, that's the biggest fear, right? You know, <laughs> right. All, my world as I know it will come crashing to a halt. And then you realize it, it won't. won't. Right. And that's one of the things I always try to tell students, like, so you got to see an exam or a D. Who cares? There's many more exams in college. Mm -hmm. It's only one. Trying to have those conversations, which is really hard when you're new to college. You want to get a perfect GPA to go off and do whatever you want to do. And so now a professor is telling me that it's okay to fail. <laughs> so hopefully that I was one of them. I was exactly one of them. How has the mural project resonated for you? So let me tell you about the mural. I heard about the mural about a year, maybe six months before it actually was installed officially. But I'm not on that side of campus. You know, I I stay in the science area and I go back to my, you know, I, I kind of like go back and forth. And so I was never, I never ran into the mural. Actually, I had no clue where the mural was until I had to park on the 12th Street parking structure and I was walking back. And you come around the Jesuit residence, and all of a sudden it was there, and it stopped me in my tracks. I was literally, like, choking up when I saw it, because it was it's just so brilliant. And, you know, the colors, and, you know, just juxtaposed with the white building and the blue sky. It's just absolutely beautiful. I remember looking at it, and I saw, you know, there's a woman with a headscarf. There's women of different colors. And it always, you know, I thought, I'm like, I have never seen anything like this growing up, you know? There was no murals like this. There might have been like local kind of community murals that were based on, you know, nature or something like that. But if I was 12 years old and I saw that, that would have been a game changer. There's representation right there, right? I was really kind of choked up when I saw it. And I thought, man, to be like an 18-year-old woman on campus and seeing that, that's amazing. But then I was sad because I was like, I'm not going to say how old I am, but I'm very old. Um, not as old as me. <laughs> but, you know, it took that long for me to see representation in my own community that was actually integrated as part of art. Um, so I think it's extremely important that we have it, not only for new girls or young women on campus who are minorities, but for everyone to see it, that this is actually part of our culture, right? So I think it's fantastic. I absolutely do. So you did your graduate work here, mm -hmm. and you now you're working here. What are some of the ways that Marquette has impacted your sense of self-worth? You know, if you would have told me when I was in graduate school I'd be back at Marquette, I don't know if I would have believed you, you know. But, you know, when you go out in the real world and you start 
experiencing other places and different ways of people, how they do science, how they interact with each other, it really made me realize how special Marquette was, especially, you know, in in our area of biological sciences. It was really a collegial atmosphere. It was very supportive. And going into a department that was had almost 50% women at the time was a game changer to me. You know, that impact. So I, I talked about there were people on campus that are were mentors to me in graduate school. They're, they've retired, but they've been replaced with new mentors. Just knowing that, that there's a network of women here that could help me navigate. Because that's, I, as a junior faculty member, that's anytime you start a new job, you're just trying to navigate it, right? And knowing that there were people on campus, strong, really successful women, that were able to help me navigate it, that was welcome. Now, you're talking about these women, and it appears a, just amazing and generous. Other women in your life who have served as inspirations that aren't necessarily the ones that you would hear about? Oh, yeah. I, and there's so many of them. I still think of my high school teachers, and Mrs. Kirkwood. They're both my math teachers. They were African-American math teachers, and that was like the representation that I had. Both of them were brilliant. Both of them were in the late 80s. It was not easy being a black woman in a high school. I, I can only imagine the adversity that they faced. And they taught me really important lessons about race. And sometimes they were things I did not want to hear. And I think of these conversations to this day, and it makes me more, their, my interaction with them makes me more empathetic. It makes me, that was kind of the reason I knew, hey, black women, there are two black women in there in STEM. Yes we can do this, right? You know, and those two women really were so important to my journey. You know, there's all these women all around that create support, right? Whether it's people who can provide family support and inspiration of how do you do work-life balance or how do you manage navigating cultures, right? My sister was a fantastic mentor to me. I was very lucky. You know, she's six years older and she, you know, we kind of navigated it together, but she's kind of gone through it first. So she always kind of whispered in my ear, hey, Anita, be careful about that. <laughs> or, you know what, just be aware this is coming. You know, and so you have all these women that really kind of help you. And so, yeah, I didn't have representation, but there were really important women that helped. So actually, you, you touched a little bit on this when you were talking about, you know, that work-life balance. The forum, this year's forum, the theme was around um, self-care, wellness healing. How do you understand or practice or experience well-being and wellness? That is a great question. I think for many years I did not have balance. It was all about the kids and all about work, right? And self-care was kind of really low on the radar. And, you know, one thing that's happened, maybe a good thing about COVID, is that we're so much, as a society, aware of mental health and the need to regroup with oneself. Um, it's okay not to be completely involved in everything because that time to reflect, time to heal, time to make sure that we're mentally and physically okay is such an important part. And I know for many years, I did not have that. Sometimes I wonder how I got through it, you know, but I'm getting better at it with time. I know when to say no. I know when to say yes. 
And if I'm going to say yes, there got to be a reason I have to say yes, right? Self-care is hard. You know, and as a scientist, the science doesn't stop. So, you know, I remember bringing the kids in at like eight o'clock at night. I'm like, okay, we have to go inoculate these cultures and dad's working. So let's go. <laughs> let's go. You know, and, and, you know, that's not balance. I'm better at balance now. Eh, but it is modeling. Oh, I tell you, my <laughs> kids, we talk a lot about kind of what it means to work hard, work efficiently, and work with quality. But it doesn't have to be all the time. But it's really important to let our kids know, even our students, like efficiency and hard work and rigor is really important. But there's a time, you can't do that 24 hours a day, right? What impact do you hope to have on women of color? that are coming behind you, that may have gone before you? I think, you know, it's, it kind of goes back to this conversation that it's all about self-confidence and self-care. And you can do it. Failure is okay. Everyone fails, right? I know so many times we look at someone that's a professor or someone that's achieved something, and we're just like, wow, that's amazing. Um, but what we don't see is the iceberg underneath of all the hard work and the adversity and the path that isn't straight. And actually, it's really jagged and maybe sometimes even painful. And I think sometimes we look at people who are on top and say, oh, man, there's no way I can achieve it. But we don't realize that they actually had every single, just like this podcast, everyone has their own journey. You know, the students, they're going to have their own journey. And the adversity is that they're going to fail, and they just have to, it's okay. It's okay if they fail, and you just pick yourself up and try again. And that's how we succeed. It's when we give up that things kind of end up falling around us. And it's really important that women of color especially, that they know it's okay, and you will succeed. You're going to fall. It's okay. That's one of the things I never heard growing up. I wish I did because I think my confidence would have been built up. That self-esteem would have been so much higher. I remember graduating with my PhD, unsure if I should call myself a scientist. I mean, that's, that is ridiculous, right? Because I just didn't have the, the self-confidence. I didn't equate that, you know, because I had failed and I just, I didn't feel that confidence. And confidence gets you so far. I wish we could do away with the phrase failure is not an option and oh. replace it with failure is an option. <laughs> failure <does. laughs> is the option that sometimes we should take sometimes just so that we can actually learn, right? If things come too easy, we never learn. So what are your hopes for the future? Not only your own, maybe just the future in general or future at Marquette. What are your hopes? So, yeah, there's <laughs> you got several hours now. Um, so there's many ways to answer this question, and I think there's no, there's not one answer, but there's so many different ways. I mean, as a scientist, you know, we're interested in understanding protein aggregation diseases, and there's a subset that we work with that affect African American populations. We're very interested in in how how that works. We're interested in kind of neurodegeneration. As a scientist, unlocking some of those mysteries is what keeps me going, absolutely. You know, for my students, so my graduate students, my goal for them is to provide them with a network so that they can succeed. You know, making sure that our graduate students have the resources so that they can 
really compete in the workforce, right? Especially women in science, I always think of, right? And also to give them the resources to, to let them know, like, yeah, you're going to face stuff out there and it's not going to be great, but these are ways you can actually address it, right? As opposed to being blindsided by some of those. And for undergraduates, I think especially, I always think of first generation. I, I was, my parents were educated in another country. So, you know, when I went through college, was as if I was a first-generation student because, you know, they didn't know what an advisor was. They didn't know, like, how, you know, I'd ask them. They're like, ah, you don't have to worry about any of that. Just do, do well in school and you'll be fine. And I missed a lot, right? And so I that navigating, helping students navigate, being able to help students in science be able to navigate those first four years because – the first two years are so critical, especially for women minority students. We see so much attrition and just providing them the mentorship resources because that's what they need. You know, women on campus or even other men on campus that are willing to help these students, that would be phenomenal. And I think we would be able as a, as a university to be able to, you know, increase retention. That's huge, right? But produce more women scientists. That, that would be fantastic. So what would you like our community to know about you and your journey if they were to walk walk away from this podcast with one thing about Anita, Dr. Anita <laughs> Manogaran. <laughs> I like, I just like saying it. <laughs> <laughs> Say it well. Um, it's, I think it's one of those things that we all try to blend in and we all try to kind of be one of the gang and things like that. But it's really important for you to stand out to show your colors, to be you, to be okay with failure. And that's kind of a theme, right? Mm -hmm. If you're not represented or if you don't have representation, find your network, right? And that's one of the things that has that network of people has been so important to, to my journey. And if I can tell a student or anyone listening, like you just, and it takes years, right? It's not something you're going to meet someone and they're going to fix all your problems. But you need to find a network of people that are going to stick with you for years. Like I said, the graduate student I worked in when I was 21, she's 70 now, and I still talk to her, you know, and it, it's pretty amazing. And so if you can find that network, we can't solve problems by ourselves. We have to kind of have people with experience guide us to how to solve our problems. And I think that's really important. And being open to that guidance. Cause, yeah, absolutely. Know, it's one thing to ask for it, but then if you don't pay much attention to it. Yes. Yeah. And they may say things that you don't want to hear. It's okay. But you need to listen to them and really reflect because they're saying it from a, a, a good place and they're saying it in a way to help you, which is so important. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, at least a bit of your story. <laughs> I know that there's more there. I appreciate you coming, and I wish you well. Thank you so much for having me. Your story stands as a testament to the amazing stories in our community yet to be uncovered. Our roots say that we're sisters podcast and the mural project seek to make these stories visible. Again, thanks to our sponsor, the Marquette Forum, Marquette's Office of Institutional Diversity and Inclusion, and the Haggerty Museum of Art for your support for this project. <laughs>